Welcome to Cryptic Chronicles, a show dedicated to exploring everything weird in this ineffable universe we call home. Today on the show, I am going to cover a listener request from one of my patrons, Ashley, specifically on creepy American towns. If you'd like to shape the future episode topics, become a patron today. In any case, these towns are not someplace you'd like to visit after dark. Or would you? These are some of the most mysterious and dark places in the U.S. that have a shroud of uh, weirdness looming over them in some way or another. Many have unknowable secrets, whereas others are engulfed in paranormal activity, and others are riddled with violence and the macabre, and some are a mixture of all the above. This is a compilation of some U.S. towns with the most sordid history and which emanate a high creep factor. And spoiler alert, there's a lot of New England folklore in here because that area has a ton of dark lore surrounding it, way more than I knew existed. So let's just hop right into it, shall we? Because it's time to get weird. I'm your host, Tim Hacker, and you're listening to Cryptic Chronicles. gonna start off with Skidmore, Missouri. Some say that this is the most creepiest town in America, but I'll let you be the judge of that. It basically has the population of a corner strip mall, being around only 200 people, at least uh, in, in modern times. The town's history is shrouded in darkness and suffering, and its reputation is so sordid, houses are incredibly cheap, maybe even the most affordable in the country. The only problem is no one in their right mind would ever want to move there. For years, more and more people have slowly ditched this creepy town, and for good reason, too. The disturbing violence that has plagued the town is as mysterious as it is macabre. Visually, the town is a living metaphor for depression. Driving down the streets, there's a boarded-up, dilapidated building, followed by a boarded-up, dilapidated building, and on and on. All small businesses are decaying empty shanties, and the roads are not maintained, nor most anything else there. And there's a mixture of theories on just why this town has fallen as far as it has, with the main reason being Skidmore's most notorious resident, Ken Rex McElroy. In the 60s and 70s, he was basically the kingpin there and owned the town. Think about how crime lords have owned areas in heavily populated cities, and, well, McElroy owned Skidmore. He did whatever he wanted and his criminal activity is so diverse, it's surprising he's not more well-known. Local businesses and farmers were regularly stolen from and shaken down. 
He'd kidnap any woman he found attractive, as well as those as young as 12, that he added to his collection of wives that resulted in over a dozen children. Pretty sick stuff. No one was above his violence if they got in his way or bothered him, and the number of victims is still unknown because of how he controlled everyone in the town with an iron grip. Those who did try to use the law against him quickly regretted it. He had mob connection lawyers and secrets used as weapons concerning high officials. Supposed doxing and urban harassment is a problem in modern times, but how he used it was straight up barbaric and brutal. Those people are baby amateurs compared to McElroy, who'd spend tons of money on focused harassment campaigns toward anyone who stood against him. This included career criminal stalkers, murdering pets, arson, and even straight-up executions, usually committed by firearms. Law enforcement wouldn't dare stand against him. Even they were under his whim, and all the while, literally everyone hated him and wished him dead. Somehow the guy kept this up for two decades. It all didn't end until one day a local citizen just straight up and shot the guy in the middle of town in front of around 50 witnesses. McElroy died, and what's fascinating is not a single witness would say just who this vigilante shooter was. Every single one of them refused to speak about it even to the present day. When law enforcement conducted an investigation, none would even hint at who the mysterious gunman was. This whole event kind of blew up on the national scale for a little bit, and for a moment, everybody across the country was talking about the executed dictator of Skidmore, Missouri. And while this was pretty good for the short term concerning the town, over the following years, the town would just die slowly and more and more people basically up and left, leaving Skidmore half a ghost town. But there's plenty more dark happenings in Skidmore. In the year 2000, Wendy Gillenwater was brutally murdered by her boyfriend in Skidmore. The official cause of death is being stomped to death, but... Others discovered evidence suggesting that she was actually dragged to death after being tied to the back of her boyfriend's car. Thankfully, her killer boyfriend is in prison and will remain there the rest of his life. Hopefully. And then in 2001, a young man named Branson Perry disappeared into thin air. The 20-year-old was doing some chores for his hospitalized father and went to the garage a few yards away and was never seen again. He even had a friend in the house helping him, and there were two others on the property fixing his dad's car. No one saw anything unusual, not anyone near the house, um, or come up close to the house, or leaving, or him leaving, or anything. His friend hardly turned her back, and then when she turned back, he was gone. Literally no evidence or trace was left behind of what might have happened to Barry. One moment he was there, and the next he was not. He was just going to go grab some jumper cables for the guys fixing the car and then vanished. The jumper cables vanished with him too. However, two weeks later, the jumper cables appeared in plain sight on the property, but there was no sign of Branson Perry. The entire town and surrounding districts, um, what do they call it? County? The surrounding county around the town got together to help comb the area trying to find him, but they couldn't find any clues whatsoever about his whereabouts. There were even pretty in-depth excavations based on tips that never led to anything. The young man just vanished into thin air and was never seen again. Then in 2004, 911 got a call saying that a woman's stomach had exploded. 
It turns out Bobby Jo Stinnett had her pregnant baby cut out of her stomach by an insane woman who decided she wanted her own baby. Sickeningly, the person who made the call was her mother, who'd found her in the nightmarish condition. Beyond all luck, though, the baby was actually recovered and survived. Somehow, the baby was actually found within a day thanks to excellent police work. And despite such a pre-birth, the baby grew up to be healthy. The killer baby thief, though, is uh, scheduled to be the third woman in American history to be executed by the federal government. And let's hope they follow through with it. Skidmore's encompassing county of Nowtaway also shares bizarre violence and oddity. In any case, this creepy town is not somewhere that you should ever visit, and the 200 or so people still living there should probably skip town. It's definitely a place of many secrets and mysteries that will remain shrouded and the truth never to be revealed. And let's move on to some New England folklore with the notorious town of Bridgewater, Massachusetts. This creepy town close to Boston is home to a crazy amount of strange, and it's one of the hot spots of a, an area dubbed the Bridgewater Triangle, which is similar to the Bermuda Triangle in anomalous activities. The triangle is roughly defined as a 200 square mile area between multiple towns, and the area is known for brutal murders, occult activity, and unexplained animal mutilations. Many say the supernatural energy permeating from the area influences people in the nearby towns, and there have been some pretty bizarre sightings from legitimate sources, such as in 1980 when Police Sergeant Thomas Downey witnessed a massive winged creature thought to be Mothman. The Native Americans in the area considered it to be a land that is both sacred and dangerous, with dark forces flowing through it. If you'd like to get deeper into the Bridgewater Triangle, there's an excellent book on it by author Lauren Coleman. Or I could just cover it in a future episode. But uh, some say that the cause of the paranormal activity is from a Native American curse. And indeed, historically, the natives of the area had many reasons to curse the land. A revered Wampanoag tribe artifact, best known as the Wampum Belt, was lost during King Philip's War. And local legend says it's not only the death of natives by American hands in the area, but this uh, disrespect of a sacred object that caused the curse. Natives are said to have summoned up dark spirits to damn the land and have their revenge upon their European enemies. Camp Titicut Reservation is an area originally settled by Native Americans during the 1500s. The location was home to an ill-fated boys' summer camp in the 30s that didn't last very long. It turned out to be an Indian burial ground and was quickly dissipated, and archaeologists found all kinds of native remains and artifacts in the area. Hikers through this one-time camp have claimed to see numerous apparitions of natives, as well as the spirit of a young boy who drowned in a nearby lake. Cold spots are commonly reported, and overall, people claim there is an otherworldly feeling of being watched by something in the area. In 1979, a pimp named Carl Drew murdered a woman as a sacrifice to Satan in the woods. Drew was a cult leader and committed a lot of horrific crimes, and some of the women that he killed, he tortured before killing them, including pulling their fingernails out. One woman he decapitated and kicked her head around like a soccer ball before doing some pretty messed up stuff with her corpse. 
if you get my drift. And that's just the icing on the cake concerning Bridgewater. There's been so much weird stuff to happen here, it's hard to keep count. There's been men in black, UFOs, abductions, ghosts, cloaked figures, unnatural lights, demons, and even Bigfoot is allegedly spotted here. One of the earliest American accounts of high strangeness in Bridgewater goes back to the colonial era in which the sky anomalously turned a sickly yellow for some reason. But UFO sightings go back as far as 1905, when a cigar-shaped craft was spotted at low altitude using some sort of beam that people have dubbed as searchlights that swept back and forth across the countryside. After a few moments, the lights went out, and the craft rose up and zoomed out of sight at incredible speed. In 1908, a black sphere UFO was seen over Bridgewater by two undertakers. This craft also had a light that shone at the Earth they assumed to be a searchlight. There was another sighting in the summer of 1941, 1979, and many sightings in 2013. Mysterious men dressed in all black are said to have investigated the incidents each time and threatened a few who later came forward about it. And there's also many alleged hauntings in Bridgewater, such as the Bridgewater State University, which is said to be one of the most haunted universities in the country. There are countless documented encounters with an entity there that loves to mess with furniture and stack cans of all things. One room in particular is said to give off some pretty creepy vibes, and people claim to have heard raised voices, choking, and weird sounds in general. An urban legend of a girl being choked to death by her boyfriend is the alleged source of the haunting. But there's plenty of other spirits too, including one that messes with electronics and randomly turns showers from hot to freezing, as well as the former headmistress who died by falling off the roof, among many more entities. A variety of poltergeist activity is reported within the university, and interestingly enough, these reports go back to the 1800s. The Bridgewater Swamp is another area of consistent high strangeness. Its name is Hakamak, and Hakamak translates to the place where spirits dwell. Many lives were lost in the swamp during the First Indian War back in the 1600s, and glowing orbs are reported in abundance here as well as a Bigfoot-type entity. There are also giant snake sightings, thunderbirds, and balls of fire. The Mothman himself has also even been seen in this swamp, and there have been many reports of missing people after journeying in there. And Bridgewater also has what was once known as an insane asylum, but for the criminally insane. At Bridgewater State Hospital, there's an odd number of high suicide rates. The bizarre suicides and happenings in the hospital have made it a dreaded place to be sent by those criminals who have heard of it because... A lot of the time, it means you're never going to leave once sent there. And there's also the Tauntaun State Hospital that opened in 1864 that was called the State Lunatic Hospital. In modern times, they don't really use terms like a like lunatic hospital or hospital for criminally insane and whatnot. But this hospital too is home to anomalous activity. There's a consistent entity reported across the board, which is a shadow figure, and it's seen doing all kinds of creepy stuff, including climbing the walls to linger on the ceiling while staring down at patients. Many have reported being touched by unseen hands in the facility, 
and pretty much have a sense of unease the entire time that they're there. At one point, the staff was accused of being a part of a satanic cult by outsiders, and they'd perform horrific rituals on the patients. There are reports of possible human sacrifices there from the 60s and 70s, and it's also been home to serial killers and every type of human evil you can think of. All in all, Bridgewater is a literal vortex of paranormal activity, according to the lore surrounding the town, that is. And the Bridgewater Triangle is an area paranormal investigators have an intense interest in documenting and exploring. It's very large. Unlike the next creepy town we're going to cover, Whittier, Alaska. Even though Whittier is not the creepiest town I'm going to be covering, it's most definitely the weirdest. But this town's especially unnerving to me because I value personal space and solitude so much. It's also covered in a fog most of the time, as well as the surrounding area. I can think of a few things worse than being stuck with the same people in a enclosed space for long periods of time. But if you're one of those people who love to stay at home all the time and are super extroverted, I guess you may like it. Maybe. The Colossal Building is known as the Begich Towers, and there's no reason to ever go outside if you live there if you don't want to. The Begich Towers are condos where most of the residents of Whittier live. In fact, basically all of them live there. And there's some creepy paranormal tales there as well. Many residents have reported hearing ghosts searching for food in the kitchens, wandering around heavy-footed up and down the stairs, and weird whistling at night. But I mean, get this, the main point, if you didn't get it yet, is the town of Whittier is basically just one giant building. A whole town in one massive building. Originally, it was a military outpost during World War II that was made for a genuine possible conflict on American soil. So it's a pretty heavy-duty structure able to withstand bombs. Still, over the years, former military people stationed there returned as a as well as other civilians, and it has legit become its own thing. And anything anyone could need is found within this one giant building. It's got a post office, store, hospital, and everything you could think of that any town would need. Whittier School is connected to the building through an underground tunnel, so you're still connected to everyone else even if you're away. Remember, we're talking about Alaska here, so the weather is hardcore. Just like Alaskans in general and everything they do. So going to school through an underground tunnel really cuts out a lot of the stress of uh, having to risk your life just to get to class. It all kind of reminds me of a setup for a SCP from the SCP universe. And I can see this town getting really freaky and creepy fast if society breaks down or there's some natural devastation, tragedy or something that cuts them off from the rest of the world. The town is decently close to Anchorage, Alaska, but it's not easy to access because the only way to get in is by boat or through a single drive-through tunnel that closes every night. And if you miss the closing time, then enjoy sleeping in the sub-zero weather. Many visitors say that the tunnel drive through the mountain is unsettling, to say the least, because of how long it is and the sheer darkness you have to go through with the crappy lighting. And when you exit the tunnel, it opens right up to the waterfront, which is almost universally covered in fog. So it's like a video game or something, like when you enter Silent Hill or some other horror game. 
But honestly, having only one way in or out to such a weird and creepy place is kind of a nope moment for me. But I'd still go there, though, especially to camp. However, that's not all. The Buckner Building is another one of those vast buildings, similar to the Begik Towers in some ways, only it's completely empty and abandoned and also known for paranormal activity. It too was used as a military housing in the 1950s and has many unnerving aspects about it. People say they hear talking and footsteps throughout the building, but no one is ever there. It was abandoned back in 1964 after taking a lot of damage from a 9.2 earthquake, the most hardcore earthquake on American record, but the funny thing is, the building can't be demolished. The building was constructed to be bombproof, so tearing it down would be highly expensive, and out in the middle of nowhere, it's just, it's just not worth it. In saying that though, the structure is surprisingly stable and doesn't look like it's going anywhere anytime soon. But if you can see pictures of it, I do suggest you go check it out. It looks super creepy and definitely could find its own place in a horror game. Whittier also has a campground, which is why I said I'd go camp there. But uh, it has a campground that's said to have paranormal activity there. And I mean, Alaska is one of the most beautiful places in the world and I love nature. So I might just go here one day. But um, I tried to find out why people say the campground is haunted, but could only find accounts of unexplained phenomena and no elaboration on these accounts whatsoever. They're just like, oh, there's weird stuff that happens there, or oh, it's haunted. And then they don't give any stories or accounts. No matter, how, I mean, I looked for like 10 minutes for anything and I couldn't find anything. So they probably just say that it's haunted for tourism, but I bet it's still pretty creepy considering, considering like Whittier and all the fog and whatnot. And people have dubbed it as one of the most haunted campgrounds in the US. Ranker.com has named Whittier the weirdest town in America, and the entire town living in one big building year-round. I mean, it doesn't get much weirder than that. Anyway, I need to go grab some coffee, and you're listening to Cryptic Chronicles. We'll be back after a quick break. Do you like food? Do you not like going places? Do you like staying home and having food brought to you? Well, you're in luck, because a thing called Blue Apron exists. With multiple pricing, there's a way to get the gourmet delicious meals under any budget. And it's totally worth it. Cryptic Chronicles would not promote Blue Apron unless it knew how good it is for you. With all the junk and everything these days, the majority of people sustain themselves on poison and don't even know it. A healthy spirit, mind, and body requires a healthy lifestyle and the ability to take care of yourself and feed your body all the nutrients it needs to function at its best in our highly demanding lives. You get to choose your own meals. The chef-designed recipes include balanced Mediterranean delicacies, quick one-pan dinners, and top-rated customer favorites. Unpack your home-delivered box with enthusiasm because there's a guarantee on freshness and the highest quality of all Blue Apron products and ingredients. Create magic following our step-by-step -step instructions, you'll experience the magic of cooking recipes that the master Blue Apron chefs created with your family's tastes in mind. With step-by-step -step instructions, so you never miss a beat and have to get frustrated about making the meal. I know I do that. At least, when I'm not eating a delicious Blue Apron meal that is responsibly sourced quality ingredients like fresh produce sustainable seafood and exclusive spice blends means you're going to have a meal that's stopped here over the common fast food garbage most people eat 
and Blue Apron cares about the environment, which is another reason I love them so much. With recyclable ice packs and packaging to ensure your ingredients stay fresh until you're home and ready and easily disposable for the health of Mother Earth. Do yourself a favor, and take care of your body and mind the way nature intended it, with a healthy meal that's also gloriously delicious. With Blue Apron, the yummy goodness is dropped off right to your very doorstep. So if you like food, and you like not going places, then why not try Blue Apron, and give your mind a rest from going to crowded grocery stores, and writing a list of stuff to get, only to forget half. Hello, my name is Nessie. You might remember me from such places as Loch Ness, because I'm the Loch Ness Monster. Cryptic Chronicles is sponsored by Blueberry. If you're interested in making your own podcast, just go to Blueberry.com or by going to CrypticChronicles.com, click on the sponsor link. On the homepage, by going through Cryptic Chronicles, you will not only be helping to support the show, but you'll also have the best podcasting host on the market. There's no contracts, and you can cancel any time. You'll have free 24-hour tech support, syndication with your own RSS feed, as well as a plethora of other goodies that only professional podcasters use. There's no third-party sites to log into. Never leave your own website. You remain in control. All you have to do is produce your podcast, write your blog post, and then publish with 29,000 plugins to pick from. By going through Cryptic Chronicles, you'll have one month free of the best podcast statistics as well as one month free of the best podcast hosting. So go through our sponsor, Blueberry, today. And if you can, visit Loch Ness, because I am very hungry. Our next destination is Benack, Montana. Montana has always been a state for wild hearts of an independent and free nature. I've actually backpacked there for two weeks in Lolo National Forest and spent a decent amount of time in the state, including an entire summer at one point. And I have to say that I love it there and the people especially. But at the same time, Montana is sparsely populated and nature is the real force in charge there. This wild nature of the state was even more of a thing in 1862, when gold was discovered in an area of the state called Grasshopper Creek within Beaverhead County. As with many areas where gold was discovered during the American Gold Rush, a small town was thrown together basically overnight. People from all over came to make their stake and strike it rich. Banak was one such town, named after the local Banak Native Americans. 
In the span of a single year, it went from some thrown-together shacks to a population of over 3,000. The town was even briefly the capital of the Montana Territory, so it has historical significance. And like the majority of towns where gold was discovered, eventually, when it all dried up, so did the town. It did take around 50 years for the town to fully die though, but ultimately, in 1940, the last residents to live there packed up and left. The town still stands there today and is in surprisingly good condition. The creepy nature of this still standing and intact ghost town is only heightened from its dark history. In such remote areas as Banak, effective law enforcement and government was difficult leading to many unfortunate circumstances. Many outlaws were always attracted to such places, and with little in the way of any efficient marshals and whatnot, and no backing by the federal government, many times people had to take law into their own hands. Criminals or outlaws were often just outright killed, with very little in what we would call a legal fair trial, and the miners and residents effectively policed themselves. But what happens when the person that's supposed to be the one protecting you turns out to be behind all the predation and pain and suffering and murders in the area? Well, if the stories are true, this town had one of the most corrupt law enforcement officials in history. The next one-time sheriff, Henry Plummer, was allegedly the secret leader of a gang called the Innocents and responsible for possibly up to 100 murder robberies in the area. I say allegedly only because the sheriff was not given a fair trial and got hung by vigilantes, as well as his deputies among others who claimed to be a part of his gang. And if there wasn't a real trial, then innocent until proven guilty. But obviously it's too late for that, so I'll just say allegedly. Anyway, those who were not lynched alongside the sheriff were banished upon pain of death. But let's just say whoever was leading the gang doesn't matter because there was an abundant amount of misery resulting from their actions. And the Innocence Gang was as dreaded as much as it was hated. Miners and travelers were murdered in the wild at their claims and on the roads in abundance. A lot of horror stories of people having their throats slit when they slept or gutted without warning in the wild. As such, there are some creepy tales that the sheriff never left the place his angry spirit making itself known at night, as well as some of his lynched associates. Many paranormal investigators have encountered poltergeist activity here, and the usual cold spots and other things that are hand-in-hand -hand with paranormal activity. And the lost souls of those who were murdered out in the wild wander about around the town. But there's also other alleged ghosts inside the town, such as a girl named Dorothy Dunn who drowned along Grasshopper Creek. Her apparition is said to be seen mostly by children, with these apparitions manifesting in the Mead Hotel, among other places. However, this girl is just one of many spirits said to haunt the hotel. There were many unsavory deaths in the town itself, not just those who were murdered outside of it. Crying children have been heard in the night, maybe from the souls who died there when the building was used as a hospital, some say the crying children were from Native American attacks when kids were locked up in safes for protection, but a theme of like children disembodied voices is supposedly a common supernatural occurrence there. But pretty much the majority of the remaining buildings in the ghost town have their own creepy tales about them and are said to contain entities. 
such as the Christmas Store, the Bassett House, Skinner's Saloon, and others. The infamous Sheriff haunts various buildings, it said, and is quite unpleasant to encounter. People still visit the site today and allegedly take pictures with ghostly entities in them and experience unexplainable phenomena quite often. It's safe to say that Banak is one creepy town with very interesting and sordid history. Though not nearly as notorious as our next destination, Point Pleasant, West Virginia. Point Pleasant is said to be home to many unexplainable occurrences, hauntings, and even a curse. This is one of the main spots for the notorious Mothman sightings and John Keel's investigations into the high strangeness in the area that's documented in the bestseller, The Mothman Prophecies. Keel was an extremely famous researcher with many incredible conclusions concerning the paranormal, and this town is easily one of the most haunted locations in America and pretty much a paranormal hotspot in any researcher's list of weird places. John Keel referred to entities like the Mothman as ultra-terrestrials and able to alter reality to a degree through the super-spectrum. These ultra-terrestrials are in no way united and often play against one another if they have any free will at all, but I'd really suggest reading The Mothman Prophecies. It's a fantastic book and one of my all-time faves. But what's less known about the town is that actually pretty cursed throughout its entire history. Around 200 years ago, when the Americans began pushing west, they encountered fierce resistance from many Native American tribes that inhabited the land. And one of these brutal encounters in the early Indian Wars was against the formidable Shawnee tribe and their chief, Ketua. I think that's how you pronounce it. But when translated, it means Chief Cornstalk. And it's also fascinating how even the original natives of the area that later became Point Pleasant said that spirits haunted the area. They had tales of unexplainable lights, alien creatures, and phantoms surrounding the land, and all that long before Americans were ever around or a thing. The area was looked at as a window between worlds, essentially. However, despite the darkness associated with it, the Shawnee would fight for their land, and in the end, curse the settlers and the land for centuries after. Chief Cornstalk and the Shawnee were part of a powerful confederacy of native tribes that opposed American expansion. But after a series of pretty costly conflicts, the Shawnee chief attempted to make peace with the Americans, which did last for a long time, years even. That is, until they were betrayed and taken hostage. Eventually, he was straight up murdered by soldiers acting on their own without orders. And as he lay dying, he spoke the legendary curse. Quote, I was the border man's friend. Many times I have saved him and his people from harm. I never warred with you, but only to protect our wigwams and lands. I refused to join our pale-faced enemies with the Redcoats. I came to the fort as your friend, and you murdered me. You have murdered by my side, my young son. For this, may the curse of the Great Spirit rest upon this land. May it be blighted by nature. May it even be blighted in its hopes. 
May the strength of its people be paralyzed by the stain of our blood. End quote. The chief died immediately after saying the curse. They buried the native chief, but he would not rest in peace because paranormal phenomena has been associated with his grave and him in general, even till this day. When trying to erect monuments for him, machinery would get struck by lightning on a clear evening, as well as a bunch of other weird stuff, especially when they dug up his grave to move him. However, over the centuries, Many disasters in Point Pleasant are said to be from this curse, such as a coal mine disaster that killed 310 miners in 1907, 150 being killed in a tornado in 1944, the Silver Bridge collapse that killed 46 in 1967, a plane crash that killed 35, another plane crash that killed 75 in 1970, a jail explosion that killed the murderer, her husband, and all police inside the building, basically, back in 1976. A train derailment in 1978 that littered the area in thousands of gallons of toxic waste. 51 killed in a construction disaster of the same year, as well as many, many more tragedies, such as fires, two crazy floods, and many mysterious deaths. If I were to mention them all, it would take forever, but... Let's just say, a lot of bad stuff happens to people in this creepy town. Though in the modern um, pop culture zeitgeist, most people associate the town with high strangeness surrounding the Mothman. The sightings of the entity allegedly began on November 15, 1966, when a young married couple were blown away when seeing Mothman one fateful night as they passed an abandoned World War II factory. Supposedly, the thing followed them up to 100 miles per hour as they tried to lose it while panicking. When asked what it looked like, they said, Shaped like a man, but bigger, maybe six and a half or seven feet tall with big wings folded against its back. But this was just the first sighting of many more to come. Climactically ending with the Silver Bridge collapse in December 1967 that killed a whole lot of people. Mothman sightings before the bridge collapse, though, were pretty... They were pretty consistent. It was only after this incident that the sheer volume of sightings began to die down to the point that sightings became extremely rare as they are now. Many wondered if Mothman was behind the terrible tragedy, or perhaps it was trying to warn people some claim. In either case, the entity is just another dark shadow that spread over the town. Point Pleasant is also home to a ton of UFO sightings and many documented encounters with the mysterious men in black. It's safe to say the paranormal activity there is off the charts. The Point Pleasant River Museum was built over one of the bloodiest battlegrounds during the Indian Wars, and many caretakers and people who have visited the museum claim that shadow people inhabit it. The summer house near the museum is as old as it is, and it's often said that those who stay there hear unexplainable noises that are strange and unnerving. The historic Low Hotel that was built back in 1901 is said to be haunted by children, a sea captain who is waiting for a boat, and a former maid. A woman in a nightgown who likes to dance to music can also be seen, but she only haunts the area between the first and second floor. There's a bearded man apparition on the third floor, and on the fourth floor ballroom, 
Musical instruments can be heard without anyone there. And overall, ghostly happenings are said to be abundant, including things moving on their own, cold spots, and disembodied voices. But if the Mothman and Cursed Towns are not your thing, then maybe visit our next location, especially if you enjoy mutant satanic serial killers. Because next up is the town of Boston Mills, or Hell Town, located in Ohio. Boston Mills is a ghost town that's pretty modern all things concerned and has a lot of bizarre conspiracies regarding it. What led to its end was the feds using a recently passed bill that gave them eminent domain to acquire land for private owners. So no one in the town could argue and couldn't say no when the government told them to get out. All of a sudden, with no explanation, the government forced every single person in the town to evacuate. And this is what's led to some interesting government conspiracies concerning Helltown. And knowing just how little we can trust the government, they are not unbelievable in the slightest. However, I should also quickly note that Boston Mills, or Helltown, is a nickname for the northern part of Summit County, and are actually a handful of areas all combined that are commonly referred to as Boston Mills. But the big question is, why did the government force everybody out of the town? Some say that the government was conducting a cover-up of like a chemical waste that was spilled nearby, which led to horrific mutations and cancers to spread among the residents and their children, or that strange mutations of animals in the area began attacking citizens of the town. To this day, brave souls who have gone there say they have spotted disfigured mutated people hiding out, and these mutant revenants don't like outsiders. Helltown is foreboding to the extreme in its creepiness and actually very dangerous after dark. There's always talks of serial killers, ghosts, and satanic cults that surround the area. The town's pretty ancient too, first established in 1806, but it didn't really grow into what it would become until the 1880s when a railroad station was built there. Boston Mills Bridge is known as Crybaby Bridge, which is another fascinating legend that originates from the town. It's a plain-looking concrete steel bridge that's more and more consumed in the overgrowth of the woods. And like many legends, there's a variety of ways the tale has been told. Several of these instances surround a busload of children that were killed on the bridge. If you put dust on the back of your car and attempt to drive it, children's handprints will be on the back window afterward. Cars that park on the bridge are also said to have difficulty starting again if the engine has been turned off. But the majority of lore revolves around a mother who threw her baby off the bridge into the water below. And then in many versions, she takes her own life on the bridge afterward. Depending on who's saying it, the husband kills his wife and child, or some tragic car accident kills them all. In any case, the key to this legend is its namesake. A baby or child at nighttime being heard crying, but there's nobody in sight. The local long abandoned cemetery is said to be a hotspot for weird stuff too. It's said to be haunted by a ghost that just sits there staring blankly ahead and never reacts to anything going on around him and just basically stares forward and doesn't move. And according to the lore, the trees inside the cemetery are said to move and not move as in the tree branches moving around on their own, 
but moving as in they are in different locations every time somebody comes and visits the graveyard. It seems like many of the tales that come out of Helltown intertwine because the graveyard is also said to have the graves of the busload of children who died. But concerning the graveyard, this school bus of children were slaughtered by a serial killer in the woods. So it's not the same version that I already talked about on Crybaby Bridge. That is the least talked about version of that bridge. This version of the murdered children all come from either it was a serial killer or others say that it could have been like a group of serial killers or an escaped mental patient or even a satanic cult. No matter what version it is though, the children were murdered and the bus is actually still out there in the woods till this day. It's an actual real bus you can go see if you want. People who have investigated claim that they have seen the ghost of the children in the long abandoned bus, each one sitting in their seat still. Sometimes the killer is there and the kids aren't and he's seen smoking a cigarette at the back of the bus in a shadowy form. Sometimes nothing is seen at all. Only the screams of the children or laughter of the killer is heard coming from within the bus. And with this macabre history surrounding it, many people have actually tried to move this bus, but something always goes wrong or some mishap that leads to somebody getting hurt. So after enough attempts, people have just given up on it and the bus is still out there. People who have messed with the bus or try to move it or damage it or do anything with it really, they seem to have bad luck follow them. And those who hang around the bus too long into the evening when it starts to get dark, they have reported seeing people like robed people in the woods looking at them. But since there's so many different versions of the bus and what happened to the kids, there's no way to know what's really going on or if any of it's even true in the first place, but it's definitely pretty creepy. And I have more to cover concerning Helltown after a quick break. You are listening to Cryptic Chronicles. there thanks for listening to cryptic chronicles the show is sponsored by blueberry and if you're interested in starting your own podcast use our link we'll even give your podcast a shout out go to crypticchroniclespodcast.com and click on the blueberry link on the homepage. by doing so you'll be helping the show blueberry is optimized for itunes as well as all podcast hubs you won't have to worry about expensive contracts or fees in fact you won't have to leave your own website you'll have your own rss feed and no third-party sites Try it for a month free by going through Cryptic Chronicles. Also, if you're a fan of cryptic content, please support the show on Patreon. By giving just $1 a month, you can really assist us in posting more content frequently. You'll also have access to bonus ad-free episodes of the show and the Discord channel. To keep up with all Cryptic Chronicles content, follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Tumblr, and of course Facebook. Give the Facebook page a like and join the Cryptic Chronicles group. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for supporting the show. For most of all, thanks for listening. Hello. Dear listener, 
Have you ever had a paranormal experience? A spiritual or esoteric experience? Have you ever seen a UFO or something that you could not explain? Have you ever witnessed anomalous activity that defies reality? Have you ever experienced unexplained mysteries of existence? If you have your own cryptic tale and would like to have it shared on the podcast, then call 1-800-757-6049 and leave a message of your experience. If it's what Cryptic Chronicles is all about, then it will be shared on the show. Just make sure you thought about what you will say ahead of time and give a clear and concise account. Also make sure to leave your name, where you're from, or any information that will assist in making a clear picture to portray to listeners of Cryptic Chronicles. Once again, call 1-800-757-6049. That's 1-800-757-6049. We look forward to hearing from you. We're back. Continuing our journey through Helltown, there's also the legend of the house in the woods, which is abandoned, of course, but always has a light on in an upstairs window. <laughs> so these woods are, these woods in the area basically seem to be pretty creepy as hell, don't they? And like I've already mentioned, there's also the alleged satanic cults in the area, with many of these cult tales revolving around an abandoned church. This church appears to be well-maintained, but it's never open for mass, no matter what time anyone goes there. An evil man is said to live in the basement, and he protects the building from outsiders. He refuses to let people see his face, and if you try to look at him, he just hides it, pretty much just telling people to go away and threatening them with horrible violence. This guy is not pleasant in any encounter that's been documented. When people look inside the windows, there's always candles burning inside, even at night. And the church has decorations of upside-down crosses all about it and other occult symbols. There's also many dangerous roads in the area that are said to be haunted, have mutants living there, or just unpleasant people about. Like the legend of the hearse. On one of these particular roads that should be avoided, if you go past the road close signs, you will find a house in which a creepy man lives. Depending on who's telling the tale, it's also a said to be a family, but upon noticing the intruders, they will chase them off and then chase them throughout the town, down the abandoned, you know, the area. They'll chase them in this hearse that only has one headlight, and some say that it vanishes later or it vanishes once the people start to get out of the abandoned town, but pretty much in all accounts, the hearse gives up the chase after people actually leave Helltown. And there's many, many legends concerning these bizarre evil roads, so I'm only going to cover a few. Such as an evil road that's said to be possessed, and many fatal car crashes have occurred on it. They say an evil force will try to take control of your car and force you to crash. They call this road the end of the world. And if you drive down it at night, a group of robed Satanists will surround your car and form a human chain in an attempt to trap you there. Apparently, only a few people have ever escaped this, hence, somebody living to tell the tale. Another messed up highway is the Highway to Hell, in which a serial killer with an axe has been butchering motorists who travel there for years. Police have been unable to apprehend him so far, but then again, few police are actually even willing to go into the ghost town at all, especially uh, at night, which is when the serial killer strikes. 
And there's another area that concerns these hooded cultists, these Satanists. And that's a place where two roads dead end for no reason because the roads both continue. The Satanists put up road closed signs to keep people from finding their hideouts. If you go past the road closed signs in Helltown to the end of the dead end street, you will find a creepy cemetery. And robed figures are almost always seen there at night. As well as reports of mutants and other abandoned homes that contain these weirdos. And I think that that's a pretty good summary of Helltown and its places of interest. All in all, I could go on much more about the darkness surrounding this creepy town, but let's move on to the town that inspired Silent Hill, Centralia, Pennsylvania. I had mentioned Silent Hill briefly when talking about coming out of the tunnel to Whittier, Alaska with all the mist and whatnot, but it's fascinating that there is an authentic town that inspired the vibe of the original Silent Hill games. After all, we are talking about creepy American towns, and it doesn't get much creepier than Centralia, which was a once a pretty prosperous mining settlement. And FYI, I keep showing reverence to the original Silent Hill games because I don't like the ones that are after the third game. Not only were they not made by the original people who created Silent Hill and all the lore behind it, but after the original trilogy, they just completely butcher everything. And it kind of becomes a parody of itself. Anyway, the town is located in Columbia County and had a population of around 2,000 residents in its prime. Then in the 60s, an underground mine fire broke out. The town's residents were forced to evacuate because of the constant smoke and ash in the air. It was almost like the town was constantly snowing, but the snow was ash. I find this ironically amusing because in the games it's supposed to be mist, like a super thick paranormal fog but has the look of Centralia. However, when they made the live-action movies about Silent Hill, they uh, they went the ash route, which uh, the paranormal fog in the movies is just a paranormal fog of ash. Making the movies mirror Centralia, which Silent Hill is based off of in the first place. But as of modern times, there are still people who actually live in the area, but there's only a population of five. Yes, five people. The town came into prominence in 1866, back when the coal mining industry was the primary employer in the area. The town grew and grew. It had its own school district with an elementary school and high school. There were two Catholic schools, seven churches, a bank, a post office, theaters, grocery stores, the whole caboodle. And though the town had a population of around 2,000 at its peak, there was also around 600 people that lived in the town's direct surrounding area. Now, just what caused this never-ending fire under the town remains a mystery. One theory is that the volunteer fire company was performing a controlled burn in an abandoned strip mine to clean up the town landfill, and something went wrong. Or it was not put out correctly and lit back up later after the firemen left then spread. The excess amount of trash is considered the most likely culprit, but in truth, we can never know and will never know the whole story, or if there was more going on behind the scenes, since stuff like that is usually covered up. In any case, the town residents soon began to complain about a horrible stench not long after the underground fire started to get out of hand. 
so it was evident that the fire had spread to the coal seam underneath Centralia. It just got worse and worse, and though the miners tried to fight the spreading flames as best they could, constantly pumping water into the ground and even covering the cracks with clay, eventually they decided it was a lost cause, and the call was made to evacuate the town. Many residents had already taken off on their own when the smoke and ash started coming up through the cracks in the ground, but others needed more persuasion that things would not go back to normal. When more and more flames were popping up through the cracks of the streets, sidewalks, yards, over the next few weeks, most got the clue it was time to go. With ever-present clouds of ash in the air and literal flames coming up from the ground like as a, a hellscape, it probably didn't take too many people much convincing to get out of there. And after a while, with all the ash in the air and whatnot, Centralia began to look exactly how Silent Hill is depicted in the games. And that fire that started in the 60s continues to burn even as I speak, and isn't looking to die down anytime in the foreseeable future. And interestingly enough, Despite the hellish visuals that engulfed the town, there were actually some people who didn't want to go, and the local government evoked eminent domain, though a few still refused to leave despite the boot on their necks by the government, but within a concise amount of time, the once busy town was empty. Centralia has since become frozen in time, and is quite the spectacle on a creepy factor level. Those who just couldn't get over leaving their beloved town, or just didn't want to move on for various reasons, settled in the surrounding area, but this was a bad idea. Because there was tons of documented cases of carbon dioxide poisoning throughout everywhere around Centralia. In 1981, a 12-year-old boy fell into a sinkhole that opened up out of nowhere in his backyard and just gulped him right up. Luckily, at the last second, he grabbed onto a tree root and was later saved by his cousin, but he inhaled an insane amount of carbon dioxide in his struggle. He did survive, though, but it wasn't a pretty picture. The sinkhole was just four feet wide, but 150 feet deep. That's crazy. Opening up right next to you when you're just hanging out in your backyard? That's horrifying. And it instantly erupted with toxic gases and heat. Something out of a nightmare. It must have looked like a pit in the hell. And it was after this incident the surrounding towns around Centralia were forced to evacuate. In the early 90s, Eminent Domain was enacted again, and all the underground fire towns were condemned. Though, a few hardened lovers of the area still refused. That's those five people I was talking about. The Postal Service even revoked the area code. So there's no real reason to stay there, unless you're a total weirdo. Who knows, who am I to judge? Seems kind of weird, though, to purposely live somewhere where sinkholes into hell could pop up at any moment and the air can poison you. But that's just me. These days, Centralia isn't even included on maps, so you have to have an old one to find it. If you do go looking for it, though, you will find a very creepy, abandoned town that has a lot of uh, decaying graphite and scenery familiar to Silent Hill, complete with an ever-present fog cloud. But whereas the original Silent Hill trilogy is based on exploring the subconscious slash unconscious mind, archetypes, alchemy, and the occult, this town of smoky white twilight is very real, and there's even some interesting paranormal activity associated with Centralia. 
Many curious souls who have visited the town claim to have seen some strange creatures or otherworldly figures in the ash fog. They've claimed to hear bizarre sounds and a constant feeling of being watched. And let's end this episode with Danvers, Massachusetts. The history of this town goes all the way back to the 1600s and is shrouded in darkness for inexplicable reasons. The town had a much higher rate of the insane than was normal in other areas. And back in those days, there was little empathy for anyone with these types of conditions. Basically, mentally ill people were auctioned off to the highest bidder to do whatever they wanted with. Literally, they were property at that point and could be murdered for fun or treated in the most horrific cruelties imaginable and no one would blink an eye. Those who were not purchased were forced out into the elements to starve to death, be eaten by beasts, killed by natives, or just freeze to death or die in some way by nature's gentle grip. The craziest part of this policy is that it lasted all the way up until 1841. And from a modern perspective, this practice is horrifying and pure evil. It's pretty grimdark. But there was eventually somebody who didn't like this kind of stuff because obviously it's really messed up. And her name was Dorothy Dix, who dedicated herself to reforming um, how the mentally ill were treated in America, but especially her hometown. Dix changed it up a bit and attempted to remove the brutality of the mentally disturbed in their community. She created something that revolved around contracts for people to take care of the mentally ill, but the system was still pretty rife with abuse. It was routine for the insane to be locked in cages or animal pens, strapped to chairs in metal bands, chained down, left naked, and regularly beaten into obedience. And there was nothing to stop men from seeking out young mentally ill women and yeah, you can imagine. The worst was that no one cared if any of these people vanished or died in questionable circumstances. It was a sadist or maniac's Disneyland. Still, Dix kept trying to push more and more humane conditions for the mentally ill and never gave up. She wanted the government to have a more substantial influence on their treatment and laws to make their lives less nightmarish. She was pretty successful too. The Danvers State Mental Hospital was erected directly from the fruit of her own actions. It was also a work of art in architecture. The hospital was a vast Victorian-era complex with 17 buildings. And in the beginning, it was totally legit, with compassion being the highest aspiration of the nurses and doctors. But shit went south real quick. They couldn't have chosen a worse spot to build because it was over John Hathorne's house, one of the harshest judges at the Salem Witch Trials. Many of the horrific events during the witch trials took place in the area, and the hospital was pretty much built right on top of it. And the horror stories began pretty early on into its history. One Portuguese psychosurgeon began drilling holes in the heads and destroying brain tissue with alcohol, to which Walter Freeman, he's a huge asshole, but um, he would study this man's work to develop the notorious lobotomy procedure. So let's just say that the hospital became a living hell. The facilities were heavily overpopulated, and groans, cries of pain, and shrieks echoed throughout the halls regularly. And with all the lobotomies and medical experiments going on, many patients were vegetables 
or just wandered around like zombies. Luckily in the 70s, with the rise of good drugs that helped mental conditions, things got a lot better and the population began to die out over time, <laughs> with it eventually closing in 1992. But for a long time, the hospital was re really messed up. If you've seen the American Horror Story, specifically the Asylum series, it's based on that hospital, New England folklore. The dark legacy of how the mentally ill were treated in the town tainted it forever. Most people in town don't want to talk about the town's past and don't want to talk about ghost stories or anything superstitious to them. They just want to be considered a typical New England town. But the tales of escaped mental patients murdering people in the town have left too much deep scars and a creep factor in the subconscious psyche of the people in the town to just be forgotten. The hospital has been mainly torn down other than the main Victorian building and an apartment complex has been built on top of it. Another of the remaining things from the asylum is the cemetery known as the Dead Danvers Insane, which has around 800 unclaimed bodies in it. They're marked with numbers instead of names and the people they once were utterly forgotten from the lack of records. But that's just one of the cemeteries because there's also another one, the Danvers State Hospital Cemetery, with the subtitle, The Echoes They Left Behind. This is more of the official graveyard, but still just as creepy. The Danvers Town Forest contains Goodale Cemetery, located just past the entrance, and features historic graves from both the Revolutionary and Civil Wars. And, uh, it's paranormal activity common in the area. So the creep factor in this town is extremely high. There's plenty more, too. Just 12 miles away from Danvers is the town of Salem, which I'm sure that you are familiar with. There's a pretty big business surrounding the Salem Witch Trials. Still, only a handful of the events actually took place in Danvers, because a lot of it went down in Salem, obviously. But it still solidifies Danvers' connection to alleged witchcraft activity. And there are even some memorials there in an attempt to make amends for the cruel treatment of its citizens in the past. Whether you believe in witchcraft or not, it's a fact that innocent people suffered horrible fates from witch hunts. Anyway, the Endicott Family Cemetery, another haunted cemetery that's super creepy there, was established in the 1840s as a private family cemetery and is another one of the areas in the town with a sordid reputation. Paranormal investigators claimed to have seen spirits in 1800s clothing, encountered cold spots, and a basic feeling of unseen presences watching them in the graveyard. The cemetery was initially made for the Endicott family, and three of them in particular are said to haunt it, Margaret and her two sons, Jeremy and Alex. The cemetery was eventually abandoned by any caretakers and fell into neglect and disrepair, and this has left the burial grounds to appear incredibly creepy visually. The Peabody Institute Library is another hot spot for the unexplained in Danvers. Guests of the library claim that on the third floor, they've witnessed the apparition of a man, with many of the people to work at and regularly visit the library, claiming to have seen the ghost. But nobody knows his identity or the reason he haunts the library. There have been many accounts of a disembodied shh being said to people who talk in the library too loudly, and this phantom shushing has been attributed to the man. Still, 
The shh is never heard when the apparition is visually manifested. Then there is the bizarre explosions at factories that took place there that kind of remind me of uh, stories from the book It by Stephen King in 2011. Out of nowhere, a loud eruption happened and caused a shockwave that rattled windows and shook houses, not only in Danvers, but also in the surrounding communities. The loud explosion sounded didn't seem to have a source and came out of nowhere for no reason. There were no fires or destruction, and investigators were obviously puzzled, with police scratching their heads and not knowing what to do or what to tell the concerned citizens. The really creepy thing was that a chemical plant in the area exploded there just five years prior, causing a damn earthquake and did a lot of damage. However, the explosion was from no source and had no physical evidence of the event or the aftermath this time. There is still no explanation for the phantom blast till this day and it puzzles anyone who looks into it. And just five months later after this event, things got even weirder. A young man claimed to have dark experiences in the woods concerning aliens and claimed that they were haunting the woods and killing citizens of the town. He ended up killing his own father with a hammer and then stabbed him in the neck. The 24-year-old claimed that aliens had killed his father too. He even told this to his neighbors and then told them that the aliens were killing people in the woods and they had to save his cats. <sighs> so all in all, the Danvers town is easily one of the creepiest and weirdest towns in America, hands down. That's all for today's episode. Let me know if you want more episodes on creepy American towns or even like other countries, creepy towns or creepy places because there's a lot more to work with. I could also just mix it up and whatnot. Cryptic Chronicles is available on iTunes, Spotify, Podbean, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, and basically all podcast hubs. You look for us and we're there. If you can, make sure to like and comment or review wherever you hear this content. It really helps out the show. And uh, let's look at a couple of comments or reviews. Aaron Johnson on the Bad DMT Trips video on YouTube says, DMT scared the shit out of me a couple years back. I'm ready to go again. Yeah, man, me too. But um, I, I actually want to try ayahuasca. You should look into it. I was going to do it for a little bit, but uh, 
We even like kind of had planned, but it fell through. And on episode 45, the Nephilim part six, Gnostics, Ashley Mack says, another good day. Thanks for posting. You're welcome. I hope you liked it. Stephen Butler says, as always, very well presented and now even more information for me to research. Many thanks. Many thanks to you, sir. Uh, Vibrational Keys says, very well done. Thanks. If you enjoy Cryptic Chronicles, even in the slightest, please help out by just leaving a comment. The interaction makes the algorithms like the episode and so we'll spread it and help the show grow or like it or whatever, wherever. I don't know how all the platforms work. My uploads are kind of automatic for the most part. So please review, comment, share, like, it all helps. By pleasing the gods of the algorithm, you are doing more than your part in support. And if you really, really like Cryptic Chronicles and you happen to be awesome, then support the show on Patreon. For just a dollar, you can unlock full uncensored shows with no ads or anything like that. You will get access to exclusive podcast episodes and depending on the pledge, can even do other awesome stuff. You'll also be able to join the Discord channel. You help me the direction of where I'm going with new content. Just go to crypticchronicles.com and at the top, click on the Chronicler's Vault. It's a link to Patreon. Really means a lot to me and thank you. And speaking of awesome, I'd like to thank my current patrons, MJ Calvo, Adrian, John, Celestial Weavers, Alien X, Lorna Grubb, Paul, Linda Gonzalez, Angela Delaire, Ashley, Brad Herbert, Lawrence Lee, and our newest patron, Patricia Coles. Thank you, Patricia. Welcome to the club. Thanks for supporting Cryptic Chronicles, but most of all, thanks for listening. And as one of the most successful entrepreneurs ever to create their own city once said, a man chooses, a slave obeys. 